Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about obstacles along the path. Are they really obstacles? Um, Balancing home and spiritual pursuits, and my favorite, skepticism. Uh, What's great about this is that I put out a call on Instagram for topics, and a number of you hit me up with the same things. So you're not alone. Uh, But before we get into all that, Uh, If you'd like to support the ongoing creation of the Infinite Spark of Being and all that that entails, you can do that at theinfinitesparkofbeing.com, where you can find links to uh, the books, the t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, art prints, as well as the uh, Patreon link that will allow you to pledge a $1 or $5 a month donation to the Infinite Spark of Being. And again, uh, I mentioned this a little while ago. If you donated uh, through Red Circle, which is the podcast uh, distributor, um, I apologize, but I can't see who donated and I can't send you a message. So if you did donate there, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. Anytime you guys spend money on books or any of this stuff, I am flattered and I can't tell you how grateful I am. Um, So here we are obstacles, skepticism, and balance. Let's get started. specific question that I'd like to look at first is how to balance a spiritual life with a householder life. Um, Well, there are two ways that I read this question, and I'll attempt to deal with both. First would be, um, how do I maintain a life as a householder and be on a spiritual path? Uh, The second would be, how do I maintain a spiritual path while living with someone who is not on a spiritual path per se. Well, um, first of all, as I mentioned in the episode where I read the, uh, the piece from the first Infinite Spark of Being book, The Agreement, uh, the piece was titled The Call Up the Mountain. Um, we're all going up the mountain, right? Uh, this is obviously a belief that I have, and I can in no way prove it, nor do I care to, but I do believe that the path starts by simply taking birth. It doesn't matter what you believe. Um, everyone is on a path, and I'm not just saying that like flippantly, like, hey man, everybody's on a path, but I mean, everyone is doing something. Everybody's, the soul for each of these beings is you know, that, that is these beings has its own karma, has its own curriculum, and it might not be your thing, you know? It's going to be different than you. Um, but everyone is going up the mountain. These spiritual practices, however, do allow us to experience the trip in this particular body a certain way, and they could allow the trip to make more sense. But uh, to both questions, I just don't think it matters. Um you know, there are classic stories of monks living in caves and doing all this practice, but when they come down into the town to be with others, they lose it. They fall apart essentially because they've been hiding out. Um, or 
It could be seen as spiritual bypassing, which means that we use spiritual practices or beliefs to avoid working on deep personal or psychological issues. Um, For many people, the householder path is the more steep and noble path as you are working more directly with your karma. Um, Back in the old days, householders were just anyone that wasn't a monk. Um, I mean, at times I've been with people, uh, partners that had a very minor peripheral interest in the things that I'm interested in and sometimes none at all. And at times I was with people that had a large interest in the things that I'm interested in. But either way, I found that um, the edge is a lonely place. If you've ever heard that saying, it means that for those of us that are more attracted to the fringe, um, even when we're around others that are as interested as us or into the same things as us, we still feel a bit alone. Um, it's the nature of the game. It's okay. But you know, don't get lost out there. Like I don't think it's good for us to hang out out there you know, too much. You know, we begin to feel isolated and that isolation kind of becomes an ego trip and it can turn into real self-righteousness. And I know from experience, um, isolation is horrible. Uh, It's horrible for our mental state. We need connection and we can't, you can't just connect to people that are in the same type of shit as you. You have to go outside your circle. I find that when I do that, it, it has always broadened my perception Uh, or my perspective rather on the things that I believe in and the way I see other people, which is really interesting. Um, But what if that path that we're on has definite rights and wrongs and you start to see your partner as wrong or doing unskillful things? You know, you start to judge them. You start to, again, fall into self-righteousness. Well, depending on the philosophy of that path or that system, you might need to reevaluate it. I mean, um, that's, that's just my opinion, but the hope of these paths, these practices is to bring us into the present moment to just be with what is, um, and not to have us overly concerned with our great reward at the end of this birth. Um, it seems as though when people get overly invested in this, you know, great reward or goal or punishment or whatever this thing is at the end of this birth, Um, you know, that concern with uh, it, it starts, you start to push it on other people is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, you become a weird missionary, you know? Um, so historically that seems to be a problem. I don't think that's lost on any of us. Um, but my personal outlook is that if it creates others, then I'm just not interested you know, because that other's thing creates self-righteousness and isolation, which is why I ignore most political and social nonsense in our culture right now. It is, in my opinion, just a pile of bullshit. Um, You know, when in doubt, I look to the absolute as much as I can, meaning that there is an absolute reality or truth as well as a relative reality or truth. Um, meaning like absolute truth or relative truth. And I feel that I must balance between those two. Um, So you could say relatively, there's a problem for the meat suit, for the mind, for the ego, but absolutely there's, there's not a problem. Again, all of these 
problems really go back to biological imperatives. Um, you know, we're all just souls. And, you know, so back to the original question, how do you work with a spiritual practice and be a householder? And I guess my question to you is, what's the difference? Aren't the challenges of being a householder, being in the world, part of the spiritual practice? The spiritual path is not about transcending life and not having to be a human anymore. Okay? I mean, isn't being alive and working with the mind, the karma, the entire game? Um, and this is why Buddha, for, for some, is believed to be an incarnation of Lord Krishna, sent to, well, the belief that he's a reincarnation of Lord Krishna is, is common, but what, what kind of goes back and forth is that some people believe that the purpose of the Buddha was to rid religion of these mundane practices and rituals to kind of pare things down and like to get to the essence of what we're really trying to do here, which what Buddha was constantly trying to get to was equanimity. Um, you know, because like, legitimately all the full moon rituals, uh, kirtan, mantra recitation, arti, in the world will not change anything unless there's a change in the way the mind is receiving information because the mind tells the body how to feel. And that's why we keep doing things because of how the body feels. Um, this is why in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna prescribes karma yoga and Raja Yoga, otherwise known as meditation. He prescribes these things to Arjuna. And for those of you Hatha Yogaites that are about to send me a DM, please reread Pantanjali's Yoga Sutras. Those asanas mentioned in that are meditation postures. Okay? Uh, and this isn't a knock against, you know, Hatha Yoga or whatever, but, you know, some of you get hooked on the bodily feeling. And that's be and, and you neglect your meditation practice to the point that it seems like more of a gym workout than a spiritual practice. And if that's the case, then call it stretching, you know. Um, and I think that a lot of people kind of vibe with hatha yoga and all of these because it really does make the body feel better. I, I do it myself. And I think for a lot of people through various traumas and whatever, have become completely disconnected from their body. And I, I mean, I see it all the time at work when I ask somebody like, how do you know you're sad? You know, what does that feel like? And they start telling me, well, I'm sad because I'm upset that no, 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 no. What does it feel like? Well, I feel angry. No. <laughs> what does it feel like? Where do you feel it, right? But, you know, people get really disconnected from their bodies. And that's why I do believe that it's a, a great practice and I'm always advocating for it. But don't neglect your meditation practice. That's what all of these texts like are trying to get us to understand. Because really, ultimately, these things are about the time of death. You know, and what can you do on your deathbed, Right. And when you are going through the process of dropping the body, it's the mind that keeps you stuck. Don't forget that. Um, you know, also, if we're not comfortable, like when I kind of say these kind of snarky things, 
if, if we're not comfortable pushing on our reasons for doing things or our philosophies or doctrines, then we're not committed to truth. We're committed to being right and reinforcing what's comfortable and accepted. So um, anyway, I apologize if it seems like your questions are resulting in more questions, but um, that's what's needed if we're trying to understand the nature of things. So this next question is really, really interesting to me and so common. Um, how do I continue down a spiritual path in the face of my own skepticism and the absence of traditional spiritual realizations that would verify things for me? This was a direct quote from my Instagram and you know who you are and you've always got such, they're not wild questions, but it's always like, man, I always want to look at you like, would you just, just settle down, just settle down. <laughs> um, but what I feel like is being asked here is, uh, what what do I do with my own skepticism? And like, where are my realizations? I, I get it. I absolutely get it. Um, but you know, wouldn't it be weird if you weren't skeptical? Like that would be fucking strange, right? Um, and you know, not that this could ever happen, but wouldn't it be really weird? If you just stuck with your prescribed religious path because you were exposed to it early on and maybe everyone around you accepted it and so you just uh, you just spent your life with one foot in this weird spiritual mythology that your parents brought you up with and the other foot in maybe a more eastern esoteric kind of thing because it offered maybe a systematic way of cleaning up your life and your mind and it, maybe it felt a little less finger waggy, but you were afraid to fully invest because, you know, there's this fear that you'd be punished by an invisible, jealous, angry pervert in the sky that's always watching you. Like, fuck. Now that seems crazy, right? That's so... <laughs> I'm sorry. I think skepticism is necessary if we're going to do any of this. Um, in fact, within Tibetan Buddhism, debate is a tradition. Uh, there's a saying that the Dharma is pure gold because it's been hammered repeatedly and set on fire and there's nothing left but the truth. This is the pure gold of the Dharma. Um, my teacher always encouraged me to push back against the Dharma so that he could have a chance to explain it, right? He believed so strongly in it and still does. I just, you know, since COVID, who knows? <laughs> he may have gone crazy. I have no idea. But um, I never really say his name much, but Lama Losan, uh, he runs the Karma Kagyu Lineage Center in Gainesville, Florida. Um, but, you know, my feeling was that, and I always asked questions to even to like the discomfort of other Sangha members. Like, and it wasn't that I was trying to be disrespectful and, and he knows that. I just, you know, I want the truth. Um, I just, or not the truth, but it's more like, it's instead of like, I want the truth, damn it. It's more like, eh, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Um, <laughs> but, but he believed strongly in his, in the Dharma. And so he, f I imagine feels that if you're questioning it, it's because you don't understand it. Like when I'm, uh, doing things, I, like even this podcast, right? Or whether I'm in doing whatever outside of here, it's like 
I, it's not that I'm confident and cocky in myself. It's that I'm very confident in what I've been taught because I've experienced the truth of it and I believe in the truth of it, right? Um, I've, I've pushed so hard on it that I, if you're not understanding it, it's because I'm not explaining it well. So that's why I'm always, always telling you guys, challenge me on it. Don't, you know, don't just take my fucking word for it. You know, anybody can write a fucking write books and make podcasts. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm I'm correct, you know, but I always have clients that they'll really push against it and I love it. I don't get mad. I never take it personally because it's like, dude, beat me over the head with it. Let's find out, you know? And I'll tell you, I've always like, you know, there's there's this one right now, and she'll always say, like, she started out saying, uh, I can get behind 20% of what you say, but 80% of it's bullshit. <laughs> and the other day we were done and she goes, okay, you're up to 40%. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, very, very intelligent young lady. Um, but, uh, which is often you know, very difficult to deal with because when you're that sharp, you know, you know. Um, but... Uh, Buddha never wanted people to take it at face value. In fact, he, he talked against that. He wanted people to challenge it. He wanted you to push on it. See what it really is. Does it really hold up, right? So yes, be skeptical. Your skepticism is not a bad thing. It's your intellect. There's nothing wrong with your intellect. The intellect is like right below soul, right? It's beyond ego, it's intellect, at least from the Vedic point of view, I believe. Um, now, when it comes to the realizations, I think people look for these kind of earth-shattering revelations when that's not exactly what happens for most people. Um, in fact, I think that some of the damage happens when people discuss their own experiences out of context. Um Others, you know, other people then begin to compare and strive to have their own experience, but and, and through no fault of their own, they don't have the experience that they wanted. Um, but they're so attached to it, uh, to it happening the way that they wanted it to, or in accordance with some other weird criteria or story, they don't see the changes. When seeing those changes in our perception is the realization. That's where those revelations come from. So like most things, we miss it because we're fixated. Uh, we are fascinated with getting what the mind wants or what the ego wants. Um, sometimes the awakening happens slowly. You wake up very slowly. You look up one day and everything's different. And sometimes I would say that more than likely it's or for me, it's been this gradual waking up punctuated with these very mystical experiences, you know, but again, they were just experiences. And if I don't integrate them, I'm just, I'm on a field trip, right? Um, I think most of the realizations and spiritual experiences are actually shifts in our understanding, uh, shifts in our consciousness or thinking, but people miss them because they're waiting for some deeply moving, I don't know, vision? I have no idea. Um, 
I, in fact, you know, in some of the, in both books, I think I mentioned some of the stuff that I've experienced, some of that more wacky, mystical stuff. And, you know, I hesitated with it because it's like, does this, you know, I don't know. I've, I've always thought about doing an episode on that stuff, but I never want it to, like, become some, I don't like I just said, I don't want you to compare your shit to my th- shit, you know? And, you know, why wouldn't the shift happen in the mind? Right? Uh, if the subtle body is the mind and the karma and what the soul is transmigrating with and it is the work of the soul, why wouldn't it be a mental shift? It's the subtle body. Why wouldn't it be subtle? Right? Um, and something else I'd like to mention here is that these shifts, these realizations, uh, traditional or not, don't mean that you're done having painful experiences. This isn't over because you fucking had an experience. You know what I mean? It's like, this is, you're in it. This birth is happening and it's the precious birth for a reason and it's to be experienced. It's not to be avoided. Um, And, you know, please, 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 please. I know I've mentioned this book before, but please read a book called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry by Jack Kornfield. It is priceless and deals with this exact thing. Um, The audiobook's nice too because he narrates it and he has such a sweet like little voice. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, But that's a book that I loan out to clients all the time. I work in a residential place like a... And... um, I have, there's books that I, I recommend all the time that I loan out. Um, the Bhagavad Gita with the Eknath Eshawan commentary, uh, uh, after the ecstasy, the laundry, after the ecstasy, the laundry, um, cutting through spiritual materialism and Gary Zukov's seat of the soul. Those, those books are very important. They've caused, you know, another book that I never mentioned that really rearranges your thinking is autobiography of a yogi. But I'll be honest with you, uh, the um, the audiobook uh, was easier for me than the actual book because he writes in kind of this like 1930s weird whatever. Um, it's hard it's hard to read. Um, also, Ben Kingsley narrates the audiobook, so it's pretty great. Um, and the last inquiry inquiry the last question we're going to look at. Uh, is this idea of feeling blocked spiritually? Um, and I had a conversation with, uh, with one of you on the phone today. And yes, you know what? Some of you know that if you reach out, that this nut that makes these podcasts will actually call you. Like, we'll have a phone conversation. I don't give a shit. When I tell you all that like I know you and that we're old friends, like I feel that. I mean it. I'm not fucking around. But... You know, some of you have found that out, hopefully to your pleasure, not your dismay. But um, uh, but this last one about feeling blocked spiritually, it, it I, I always have two questions. And this is kind of what I ask this person. I go, um, well, I, I, I believe that some of you are asking because you've had an experience once or twice or whatever. And since you can't recreate it, and feel that way again, you feel blocked. Or maybe it was like with this person, a whole period in her life where there was just, things were amazing. 
or she felt so you know, spiritually connected. But, you know, part of the curriculum is that you're going to disconnect, right? I really, truly, truly, truly believe that wandering off the path is the benefit of any path, is getting lost in the woods. It's when you learn the most. Um, I uh, had experiences that um, during kirtan or like doing japa that I tried to recreate like desperately. And I don't know if in if it's in um, might be mentioned this way in like one of the like in the but no it's I think it's in the Srimabhagavatam I don't know. Anyway, it refers to um, Krishna exposing himself to his devotees to increase their hankering, um, kind of along the lines of um, him, of Krishna exposing his cosmic form to Arjuna um, to increase. Arjuna's hankering for him or like what if Krishna is an allegory you could see it as your higher self or your deeply connected spiritual self and you experienced it in order to keep you wanting more maybe that's part of your karma I don't know um another one uh so would you be asking because you've heard wild stories and so far you haven't had those kind of experiences right or are you asking because life stuff keeps happening even though you're doing all this spiritual shit, right? Like you continue to have pain. Well, yeah, it's, it's samsara. It's maya, right? And something to understand about maya is that maya is, it's Krishna's maya. It's, it's God's maya. It's God's illusion. Perfectly natural. The illusion isn't bad. The fact that it is illusion, in, in my understanding, isn't that it's bad. It's just what we do. We work with the mind to kind of understand the illusion or see it differently, right? Because if it's an illusion, meaning that it's something that's wrongly perceived by the senses, what if I just start perceiving it differently? Because perception means something, the way something is regarded, understood, or interpreted. So that's all subjective. I don't know. But I know this, you have to be really honest with yourself. You know, what is it you want? Like, is your pursuit of this thing called spirituality a way for you to avoid pain and discomfort? Is it because you want favors from God or the universe? Like you want it to look the way you want it to look. So you're gonna, you know, I was told once, you know, um, you know, be careful what you ask Krishna for, because you might get it, right? That like, you want these things and it's like, well, maybe the universe or God or Krishna goes, okay, well, I can give you that, but I got to move all this other stuff that you're really attached to. You know, um, I've often seen like when these things come up, it's kind of like, well, it's just kind of getting me where I want to be faster, but it's a little painful, but you got to be honest, right? And I mean, it doesn't matter, right? But when we aren't clear with ourselves about our intentions or we haven't even thought about our intentions, when it comes to these to your spiritual practice or your path, then it's kind of like, even with your life, like what are the intentions for your entire life? Then it's like you're building this house with no plans. Like you're just kind of slapping shit together to see what happens. You know, and what are you going to get if that's what you're doing? Like, you're going to get a fucking mess, you know? 
Um, I mean, God knows I've tried it that way. <laughs> I tried it up until I read Seat of the Soul. That was when I, when I read Gary Zukov's book, Seat of the Soul, is when I was like, oh, my life has no intention. <laughs> like, I would hear in Buddhism, it's always, like my teacher was always like, you know, it's about intention. Intention's the most important thing. But I'm thinking, oh, yeah, like my intention at work or my intention making dinner or my intention... But no, like really it's about what's your intention for your entire fucking life. Like what do you, I don't know. That's different for me than purpose. I don't want to get into that shit again. But anyway, um, and I've, I've tried it that way and it's, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I didn't know I was just kind of slapping things together. But there I was just grabbing at things without really knowing what I really wanted. I had zero intention for my spiritual practice. And that was a reflection on my entire life. I was living my life with zero intention. Um, And again, I say intention. I don't mean goal. I don't mean something to acquire. I mean intention. What is my intention here? What is the intention or what criteria am I looking at things through, right? Like, Like for me, it's service. It's just service. Is it of benefit to, to, to others, right? If it is, then I do it. If it's not, but there's no real goal there, right? And I think some of you, you know, some of you want someone to tell you so that you don't have to really do any heavy lifting. You just can mindlessly follow someone's doctrine and just be like, well, this person said, if I check all these boxes, I'll be okay. Well, that's not always the case. You've still got your, you haven't worked with anything else. So, you know, you got to work with the mind. Um, so, you know, sit down and write it out. What, what is your intention spiritually and with the span of this birth? You know, I mentioned this uh, in the episode on purpose. So, but what I said was that, you know, my life has a theme. What I just said about criteria, um, I make decisions based on that and, I wouldn't say I'm attached to it as I'm thinking about it, but it does give me a place to start from, right? Like I'm kind of getting wrapped around the axle here, but spiritually, where are you starting from? Like for me, it's like, okay, is this going to be of benefit to others? But I'm also not going to run myself into the ground to benefit you. That's not going to happen. And that's called boundaries. (laughs) So... Um, All of these questions and concerns are perfectly normal. They're par for the course. Um, If we're not questioning or at least curious, then, you know, what do we do? What's the opposite of that? If we're not questioning and curious, think about the opposite of that. That's pretty dark. So um, that's it for obstacles, uh, skepticism, and balance. I hope it was helpful. I hope that you find this beneficial. I hope this is a benefit to all beings. And as usual... If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please feel free to reach out. I'll always respond. Might even call you. (laughs) And as I mentioned before, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of the Infinite Spark of Being, whether it's this podcast or any of this other stuff, there are links to the books and the shirts and the Patreon page for the $1 or $5 a month donation. All that stuff is on infinitesparkofbeing.com. And as always, if you have questions... If you want to challenge something, please reach out. We're old friends. If you know, if you want to challenge me on something, dude, let's talk. Like I'll, you know, 
please. Uh, you know, don't be worried about it. Just give me a shout. Bye. Special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.